Welcome to Permission to Kick Ass, the show that gives you a virtual seat at the bar for the real conversations that happen between entrepreneurs. I'm interviewing all kinds of business owners, from those just a few years into freelancing to CEOs helming nine-figure companies. If you've ever worried that everyone else just seems to get it and you're missing something or messing things up, this show is for you. I'm your host, Angie Coley, and let's get to it. Hey, welcome back to Permission to Kick Ass. With me today is my friend, Bob Beverly. Say hi, Bob. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good. We're, we're here. Everybody who is watching the video sees that I'm in a, in a hotel background. So sorry for the echoey stuff, but we're, you know, podcast recording stops for no human, right? We got to get this done. Yeah. And look at, look at my space. I'm in my office, but you told me to build a studio with pillows. So yep. you can see the pillow, pillow over my left shoulder. I'm not good at building things. Handy dandy trick for people. Like I didn't have a chance to do it today because I was running a little bit behind, but that's how I reduce echoing in spaces. Like when I'm normally traveling, doing my digital nomad thing, put a couple of chairs behind me with pillows to just kind of help with the amplification. Got like my little sound cage right here and doing what I can, but Hey, podcasting on the road. This is how we do love that you're here. It's all good. So tell us a little bit about your business, Bob. So I've got a few things on the go. Mainly, I'm a psychotherapist, a down and dirty psychotherapist. Uh, I've heard it all. If you happen to be my new client, I say to you, I'm sure you're embarrassed and ashamed to be here because therapy gets a bad rap for being about pathology and uh, really being crazy when it's all we're all crazy. It's just to what degree. And therapy is really about sharpening your life. So it's a shame there's uh, that's the the deal about therapy. But down and dirty means I've heard it all. So if you come to my office and I haven't heard something that's exactly like what you're afraid of, only I've heard 10 times worse, I'll give you the first session for free. And nobody's ever got a session for free. That's a big, bold promise. Come in my office and see if I haven't already heard it. Uh, absolutely. So anyway, I've been a psychotherapist for 35 years. I was trained at the best school in the world, in my opinion. We had to go to seven therapists a week for four years, and as well as academic training. And if you ever go to therapy, uh, the first question to ask the therapist is, have they been to therapy? If they haven't, and you're already there, stay for the hour, but don't go back. Because it's so unfair that I've, you know, if the therapist hasn't sat in the patient's chair, you have no idea how scary it is. So at any rate, I've been doing it for 35 years. Before that, I was a minister. Now, to me, the Christian world right now is so nutty. I dare hardly mention I'm a Christian, let alone uh, that I used to be a minister. But it is amazing to be a minister. It's way more interesting than people know taught me a lot about people, had amazing stories. Uh, One of them, I think I told you the first night you and I talked, uh, I had these real troubled couple parishioners and they were fighting over a ramshackle house and the woman got her brothers to come beat the guy up. So she came down and asked me to go rescue him because he was bleeding apparently. I go in to meet him. He comes at me with a baseball bat. Thankfully, he recognized me. And then... um, I said, you know, Bert, sit down. Let's talk. While I'm on the couch talking to him, I hear a voice that says, this is Sergeant McCord. 
of the Dutchess County Sheriff. We have our guns drawn. Come out with your hands up. And I said, I'm Reverend Bob Beverly. One day this will make a good story on Angie's podcast. No, I didn't say that. I said, I'm Reverend Bob Beverly. They said, we don't care who you are. Come out with your hands up. We have our guns drawn. So I go out the back door, my hands up, and there's a state trooper and a Dutchess County Sheriff. Bert had called in while the woman came to get me at my office. He had called in and said he was being murdered. So they were responding to a murder scene. So anyway, being a minister is much more wild than people know. And the point here is, I guess, that none of us know who we're really dealing with. And we have to stereotype people in order to think. But, you know, if you get to know people, almost everybody's fascinating. Everybody's life is worth a novel. So anyway, along the way, I started writing books. My first book was called How to Be a Christian and Still Be Sane. I've written 10 other books, all self-published, but I have an editor whose IQ was 158 when she was nine. So my books are really pretty, very well edited. They're very well put together. And uh, David Allen of Getting Things Done, he wrote a preface for one of them called Emotional Elegance. But when I started writing, I was so terrified that no one would read it that I started reading the direct marketers. And this is where I'm truly sick. And if anybody's, you know, jealous of my accomplishments, here's my sickness. I'll bet you I have more marketing books and copywriting courses than any copywriter in the world. And I hate writing sales copy. My view is my book's good. Here's my three-word sales text. Mm -hmm. Just buy it. So at any rate, I just have spent thousands on like unopened course material. I should start a contest. Can anybody beat me? Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, what I figured out eventually is um, I'll stop talking in a second. Uh, Why am I doing all this? And I realized along the way that buying all these courses was like a drug for me. I've never had enough money, who has, but I have a bone disease that's cost me a fortune. I've broken like 26 bones, had three open heart surgeries, ruptured, I've ruptured three Achilles tendons. You know, I've never had enough money and I wanted to make money. And what buying a new course meant was there's hope for me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get this course and I'm going to make my life better. Now, Often I didn't even open the drug, but, you know, that's um, so I, I have learned marketing by reading Dan Kennedy, Laura Belgray, Angie Coley, Jeff Walker, on and on and on. OK, so I know how to market myself, um, but, you know, I, I really have not become a copywriter. So at any rate, I got basically three things going on. Marketing psychotherapy and if you want to get if you want me to perform your wedding in key west i will (laughs) the other thing i would say is i've i've spoken at conferences i've actually spoken at kevin hogan's boot camp in vegas a few times Mm -hmm. Uh, so i'm you know a fairly good speaker um and that's why i'm talking fast because apparently if you talk fast people think you're more intelligent and a better speaker anyway that's that's a bit about me 
That was quite the intro. Uh, I definitely like I have I wrote down a couple of questions. There was one thing that I wanted to touch on. First of all, how did I not know about the minister bit? I feel like in all of the talks that we have done, because we've worked together for a little bit, that I should have known about the minister bit, but I find that fascinating. What got you to transition out of ministry into psychotherapy? Or was that more of like a long-term evolution? Uh, wasn't a long-term evolution. After seven years, I was burned out being a minister. I went mm. to an amazing 10-day conference uh, led by Roy, Alban, Roy Oswald of the Alban Institute, the best clergy consulting group in the world at the time. And the, the conference was great. He was amazing. But at the end of the conference, everybody said, if you want to change your life, really uh, change your life, go to therapy. So when I went back to came back to my area, I found, I think, the best therapist in the world and saw him for seven years. And after a year, I realized this is what I really wanted to do, uh, help people at a very deep level. Because unfortunately, and for good reason, people view ministers as judgmental, though 46% of the time when they're in mental trouble, they go to a minister first. I'm sure that's not the same now, but back then it was. But, you know, ministers are viewed as judgmental, and it's a shame because a lot of them aren't. Um, so I just realized I really wanted to be a therapist, so I ended up doing a mid-career shift. I didn't lose my faith, nor did I stop preaching, but I ended up with a little, a smaller parish for 15 years. Mm, that's fascinating. And what, so you said mid, mid-career shift. About what point in your life did you go back to school for psychotherapy? 34. 34. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I feel, I, I say that's fantastic because I feel like there are a lot of folks that I talk to in the entrepreneurship space who indulge in what I call, it's too late for me thinking like I've got too much going on. It's too late. If I really wanted to do this, I should have started this at this age. Look at all of these other people who have something going on that's much better than I could ever build. It's too late for me. Go on, save yourself. And I, I just, I want to give them a fainting couch. And I also want to faint on a fainting couch because I'm dramatic like that. But I go, look, all around you are people that are changing things. I wrote about this in my book. My aunt Chris went back to school in her 60s to get a master's degree. And I actually asked her about that at one point, said, what made you decide to go back to school and get your degree in your 60s? That's, I mean, that's an incredible accomplishment. And I'm curious about it. And she goes, I was going to be 60, whether I had a degree or not. So might as well have the degree. And I went, yeah. yes, yes. We need more energy like that in our lives. Yeah. Like I'm, uh, I'm 69 and 11th, 12th. So I'm going to be 70 on January 5th, 2024. My identical twin's going to have the same birthday. Funny, I've never forgotten his birthday. Aren't I impressive? At any rate, I am still scared to do things. For example, I'm not too scared to talk to you. I'm not scared at all right now. I was scared setting up my sound studio because I'm so inept at that, like you. Uh, <laughs> but I at least knew I would have company. But like, I have never done, I just started doing podcasts because I was terrified to do it. Secondly, uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm doing a webinar at a beautiful spa near me. And it's called uh, Shortcuts to Sanity. 
and how to live a life of confidence, peace, meaning, and so on, or emotional elegance. But I am scared to do it. And the reason I'm doing it is I want my clients to know that at 70, you can still change things and make life better and do scary things. Amen. Amen. You know, now none of my clients think I'm scared. I'll tell them, but they don't project onto me that I'm still scared of things, even though, you know, I've done a lot of speaking in my life. Still scary to do new things. About five years ago, I moved into a new office that was just, I, I have an office in a church. They mm-hmm. offer me for 30 years free space so my fees could be reasonable. They viewed it as a service to the community, but a bigger room opened up and I decided to go for it because I always had the fantasy of having all my books in one place. Mm-hmm. So I started building this uh, with the help of people who know how to pound a nail. And I was telling my best friend, like, I don't know why I want to do it, but I want to do it. But, you know, is it pointless? I'm 65, five years, I'll be 70. Maybe I knew I was going to talk to you one day and I had to up my act. But at any rate, Angie was coming along. My friend said this amazing quote. Uh, He said, it doesn't matter why you do it. You have to do it. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? And he said, because change is the guardian of hope. Oh, that's fascinating. I like that one. Isn't that? That's so great. I mean, this this reminds me, it's all very timely the way these things happen. Uh, and I'm heading up to my 40th birthday. I look forward to what adventures come for my 70th birthday when that's when that is on the horizon. Um, and yesterday, as part of that, you know, I did the corny 40 lessons that I've learned in 40 years on this planet type thing. And I posted yesterday a, a little story about confidence comes first, or, or confidence doesn't come first, it's courage and commitment. And I told people, it's really interesting to me to just kind of observe, especially when somebody says, oh my gosh, Angie, you're so confident. Oh my gosh, I admire your confidence. And I'm like, if you were in here and you had to hear the chatter going on in my head every time I have to try something new. My first podcast was a very similar experience with my friend, Kevin Rogers, um, and everything went wrong. Like my setup wasn't working. We couldn't figure out the audio. We had to try a couple of different things. You and I had that experience trying to get on the Zoom call. Like the tech just wasn't working. And that can be a super frustrating experience. But to like be on with somebody that goes, okay, I get this. Let's bring this energy down. Let's figure out what we can do to put on a good show. I told people in this, I put I posted on LinkedIn if you want to find it. And it's a graphic that says confidence doesn't come first, courage and commitment do. And I told people. It's funny to me that people think that they're attracted to my confidence because I don't feel confident most of the time, but I do feel committed to the choices that I've made. And I do feel courageous in pursuing those things because I think about the mission every time I get scared, the mission that I'm on to help entrepreneurs, to help people step out and be brave and do things that they don't think that they can do. And that matters more to me than staying safe and going, well, this is my comfort zone and I'm going to stay right here in my box. Yeah. Um, years ago, I don't know who said it, but they, they said um, courage is like sitting on a plane. The plane does not get lift off until it starts down the runway. 
if it just sits at the end, there's no liftoff. Mm -hmm. I remember a long time ago, well, say probably 12 years ago, when I started trying to put stuff on the internet, I wrote like three pages of sale copy for a $5,000 seminar. Mm -hmm. Now, I was scared to do it. Terrified. Mm -hmm. Now, the moment I hit send, my confidence just went through the roof because I knew I had the view that my seminar was worth 5000 Now, did anybody buy it? No. With a lead time of three days <laughs> and a price tag of 5000 And Kevin Hogan, a very famous persuasion marketer, read my sales copy, said it's not bad, but there's not enough in it for like making it more what's about them. And I just like in a way couldn't be bothered, but oh, well. But, you know, I got the confidence as soon as I hit send. It sounds like you learned one of those things, too. Like, I, this is important to me, too, because I feel like there are a lot of people that self-judge before they put things out there. They're so scared of how it's going to be received. But if I could kind of read between the lines and unpack what you said a little bit, it sounds like you got a lot of learning just from putting it out there. It wasn't just the confidence, but like, oh, here's what I could have done differently. Here's what I'll change for the next time I try this. And that stuff, exactly like you said, that liftoff doesn't happen without moving down the runway. Maybe you have to move down the runway a little bit longer sometimes. Maybe you take off right away, but you got to get moving. I love that. Yeah. And if we enjoy the journey a little more, we're less afraid. The thing mm -hmm. that I focus on the most is what gives me courage is I try to live my life for others. I don't mean that I don't count. Yeah. But I, you know, in the world I live in, I've had amazingly broken clients uh, who I couldn't walk from here to the door behind me in their shoes. And I want to live a life of courage. I live to show the world that we can do better. And if I do better, you'll do better. Absolutely. Um, and OK, I want to I'm looking at my notes here. I want to go back to the webinar that you're doing because I know a little bit more about this since we've been working together, but I would love to hear about the evolution of putting on this webinar, putting on this conference at this fancy Mirabeau, which I'm totally going to someday. So the evolution is I, I knew I could feel, well, a year ago, no, six months ago, I was thinking I got to let my light shine more. And what happened was I hired a business coach named Austin Church, who I think you've connected with, who's from Knoxville, Tennessee. And we talked about how am I going to let my light shine more? And I fantasized about like doing a webinar, uh, I mean, a seminar at a beautiful resort, which I have done before, but never one where I invited people to come and record it. So I have an evergreen a uh, thing that can that all your viewers can buy thousands of copies in the night while I'm sleeping, and I promise I'll sleep <laughs> more peacefully. Well, anyway, Austin was such had such integrity. After a while, he said to me, "You don't need to let your light shine more. You need a break." And so he said, "I'm going to cancel our coaching agreement." You don't need me anymore. What you need is 
I'm going to give you back half your money because we're only halfway through the journey. And, and you are going to spend that on a sabbatical. Now, I'm only saying that because marketers have the reputation of being sleazy, etc. Well, some are, but there's a whole lot of people like you've met them and I've met them. They have amazing integrity. And yes. Austin Church is one of them. Holy cow. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, yeah. I had a great sabbatical over the summer, got renewed. I had took five weeks off. I'm good at marketing. So I got all my clients to pay for my vacation. Now I give them makeup sessions, but you know, they've been with me so long and they know my fees are reasonable that it, that it was a win-win for them. So anyway, after that, I realized I've got the energy to do the webinar. Now I kept putting it off because I'm still scared, but it's fall where I live and I wanted to do something before winter sets in. So I had that looming deadline. I'm gonna be 70. In January, I got that looming deadline. That's all I got promised, apparently. So, but I just felt the life that came from energy. And by the way, you know, it isn't just, um, I mean, it is what you said. It's commitment, it's courage. But the biggest factor I believe in life is energy. Uh, what's the great quote by Emerson? Energy is eternal delight. Oh, I like okay? that one. So like, when I, I, I've said this in my writing, if I'm alone, Lord have mercy on me. If I'm alone and tired, I'm a danger to myself. When I'm with people, I'm almost never in trouble. Mm -hmm. but tiredness is the biggest factor, I believe, in mental health. Like For overwhelmed, sure. you know, overwhelmed and tired. That's what everybody comes into my office. Now, they don't know that underneath it, there's like, borderline personality disorder, narcissism, and all the big words that can make me money. But everybody that comes in, especially parents, is just overwhelmed and tired. And so energy is a really huge factor in being an entrepreneur. And our minds, I mean, I can use fancy words, I'm, I'm the world's number one expert, not only at buying more marketing than Kevin Rogers has, but I have such a grandiose mind, not arrogant, but I have on the computer where I'm talking now, I'm embarrassed to say it, 86,000 emails. Now, they're not from friends. I respond personally to everything. But these are blogs that about living with sharpness and so on. And do I have time to read? Do you know what I do every morning? I open my cell phone, go on AOL on my on my email. I spend 15 minutes deleting blogs I know I don't have time to read. And then there's, say, 20 great ones left. And, like, I often don't get to them. What, and what's going on there? Grandiosity. Okay? All the gurus are saying now, they're all saying it. I wish I knew how to turn my phone off, see part of my tech, techie stuff. Um, all the girls are saying, distractions, what's killing us. But the thing is, we are so, in our grandiosity, we, we don't realize we're a victim right now. And if we don't change it today, we're not going to change it tomorrow. Yeah. You know? Seth Now's Godin, as good a you know, reason as any. Guru. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I took his podcasting course. That's how I have a podcast. I love stuff. Oh, wow. 
Well, he keeps his cell phone in his glove compartment or trunk. Mm. You know, because he's super smart and sharp. Anyway, you know, I think what makes us sane is limits. Mm -hmm. But you ain't talking to the sanest person. Now, I'm lucky I have an identical twin. And in most of the ways that I'm screwed up, he's worse. We will not give him a chance to respond. He probably has 300,000 emails Mm -hmm. on his computer. But he's a professor, so he's a he's a world religion expert. Uh, James Beverly, I'll put a plug in for him. He's very, very smart. Did I say I was an identical twin? But at any rate, you know, he's he makes me look like uh, I'm just lying on the couch doing nothing. <laughs> well, this, this is all fascinating. I want to circle back to looming deadlines because I think that that's super powerful and we often don't give it the credit that it deserves, I think. And I had a mentor once in my early days of copywriting. I took, I always took deadlines very seriously, but I remember one of my very early projects, I gave myself kind of an impossible deadline and I'm the one that said it with the client. And he was mentoring me through this project. And when I delivered everything I had to deliver on this really tight deadline, he came back to me and he told me, okay, so first of all, Congratulations, you did it. You delivered on the deadline. It was a super ambitious. It was a lot of hard work and you did that. Not a lot of people can. Second, the deadlines are arbitrary. We set them, we can move them. So just be aware of that moving forward that like, does it make you look good? No, but can you move it? Yes. Will there be a cost to your reputation, to resetting the print the printers when I did print catalog work, stuff like that? Yeah, sometimes there's a cost to moving the deadline, but the deadline is what you set it to be um, there are some exceptions, you know, I used to laugh. I mentioned catalog writing, uh, in one of the companies I worked at, it seemed like Christmas was a surprise every year. Oh shit. The hol- holiday catalogs coming up. Have we done anything on that? No, but I'm, I'm quite frankly surprised that that is a surprise that that's coming. Spins <laughs> at the same time every year. But, um, this, I, I don't know. I find it funny how often these things kind of just come up in conversation and seem to be themes in my life. I am the reason that I'm in a hotel was I was at an author's mastermind yesterday in downtown Houston. Shout out to Cindy Childress, uh, editor extraordinaire, helped me with the first draft of my book. Very, very smart person. If you're ever looking for a ghostwriter. Um, and we were talking about the difference between the folks who are still working on a book idea and those of us who are a little bit closer to publication. I actually got my pre-order approval link from Amazon yesterday in the middle of the masterminds. We're recording this in October. So it's still pre-release for my book. By the time this airs, it'll be spring of 2024. So the book will already be out. But it, it's kind of interesting to know that we're time traveling right now, right? Yeah. And we're also six months in the future. Um, but people, at, there were a couple of folks that are kind of in early stages of drafting their book that said, oh my gosh, how did you get to this point? Like they were astonished by the publication process. I totally get it. Having gone through it, it's overwhelming. There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of places to drop off and get discouraged, especially when it comes to editing. Uh, And I said, I don't know, earlier this year, I had a personal issue that had me kind of frustrated at life. And the way that I deal with frustration has always been action. And so, and I know that if I decide to do something kind of in between my ears, I will break promises to myself. But if I make promises out loud in front of other people, because I see myself as a woman of her word. I will not break that promise. I will move heaven and earth to make it happen. And that's what happened. My moment of frustration, I took thee to LinkedIn and I wrote, my 40th birthday is coming up and I'm releasing this fucking book. 
I gave myself six months to get it done after working on it for four years. And now, you know, five years after the fact, it's coming out. It's actually a thing. So all of that to say, I know that that was a bit of a ramble, but like give yourself deadlines and give yourself people that will hold you accountable to the deadlines and ask you, when is this happening? How are you doing? What's the, what's the holdup? How can I support you? I think that's been the biggest surprise about speaking out loud about the thing that I'm scared of because I'm terrified to put out a book. Anybody who's ever written a book that tells you that they're not scared to put out a book, it I don't know what the hell has happened in there, but most of us are scared of that because that's a lot of work. That's a lot of heart and soul on that page that you're seeing. Even if it's the driest academic book, people are scared of judgment when they lay their, their work out there for the world to see and judge. Um, I don't know where I was going with that thought, but yeah. Put it out well, there. you said it a couple scared. things. One, one is our our integrity matters. Our word matters. Keep your yes. word. Um, long ago, I read a Harvard study. If I say in my head, "I gotta, I've got to pre-order your book," it's like clear, like to my ceiling here. Mm-hmm. If I say it, but if I just say it in my head with no talk, it's clear to the ceiling. If I say it out loud to myself, it's clear to the roof. If I say it to you, it's clear to the moon. In other words, cognitively, that's how things get through to us. But you also said every now and then we have to change our deadlines. Reminds me of the most boring class I ever had with my best teacher in therapy school. He spent two two two-hour classes on what's called assimilation and accommodation, which is it doesn't always have to be A, B, C, D. It can be D, C, A, B, and all the variations thereof. Now, I found it really boring, and this guy was brilliant, but those two classes I wish I had skipped. But I can tell you this. It's the single most classes that I think about in my career because people like me at times, we get so rigid as if you know the same man with a gun is sh- going to shoot us that we don't realize you know, I could go to bed now or I can just get one thing done. I don't have to do 12. And it's so hard to be flexible. But what you've discovered is, and this is why it worked for you, the key is you keep moving. Yes. Like I think if there's a devil, he gets us when we're sitting in a chair doing nothing or lying in a bed doing nothing. Like that's when I'm susceptible to thinking I'm a useless piece of you know what. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And I've heard a lot of chatter recently. Well, everybody knows that a lot of industries are up in arms over AI. And, you know, it's coming for our jobs and stuff like that. And I, I disagree, first of all, because I, I saw the garbage that AI churned out in terms of writing when it was first released. And now that it's being fed by everybody, not just super smart scientists, um, I don't have high hopes for it getting smarter soon. But we'll see. I don't know. Time will tell. Maybe we'll be proven wrong. But around this is kind of the conversation of who gets left behind in jobs like that. What traits are most important to entrepreneurship, to employment, to to the world at large? And flexibility, you mentioned, is one of those things. Adaptability is the other one. I think adaptability is going to become even more important. Being able to roll with the punches, being able to pivot. We all hate that word since the pandemic, but pivot. When things don't go according to plan, that just happened to me. I have it. I've talked about it once kind of publicly, but this is, it just happened. I had been working for the last two months on that book through a a platform called draft to digital. 
And that came highly recommended by one of my author friends who said it was a great experience. And it was a great experience when I was working on the ebook. When I got my print proof of the first paperback, that was when we ran into our first issue. So I reached out to customer service and said, hey, like half of the pages are blurry and double printed. How do we fix this? And I sent them a dozen pictures of me showing them exact instances where it was like clear prints on top, went into blurriness, clear print. Like it was just arbitrary and random how often it was printing blurry. And I got the most like weirdly condescending explaining that it was like thin paper and bleed through and they had to manage costs and I had to decide what I could live with. Oh my gosh. When I, and I'm not even exaggerating. Those were word for word. You have to decide what you can live with. And I was like, what I can't live with is after five years of working on making this book the best it can be and agonizing over which publisher I was going to choose, my publisher going, too bad, that's the way it is. We're not going to do anything about it. Decide what you can live with. Uh, no, because if I'm charging people $25, $25 for a print book to have in their hot little hands, I don't want them distracted by blurriness any more than I was distracted by the blurriness when I went through that proof. And so I told them, you know, I really don't find this acceptable. And I, and I, said that exact same thing. I don't want to charge people $25 for a blurry book. That's not what I'm about. I'm willing to pay for a higher paper quality. And they were basically like, well, we don't do that. Take your business elsewhere. And so that's why I mentioned earlier, I have an Amazon pre-order link now because when invited to take my business elsewhere, I usually do. So I pulled everything at two months of work off of one publisher and moved it all over to Amazon in like 48 hours. Because when I'm angry, I can move mountains. Uh -huh. I was a little bit angry at that one, but you know, all of that to say flexibility, flexibility, adaptability, that's one of those critical points. I was talking about that with the, the author mastermind yesterday. That's one of a thousand points along the book publishing journey where you can quit because I put two months of effort into this platform and I don't know why it's a, is this a sign that I'm meant to give up and this book shouldn't be out in the universe? No, it's just somebody not using their, they didn't put their thinking cap on before answering that customer service email. That's what I'll say. Yeah. You know, like my two businesses, like being a minister and being a psychotherapist, hardly anybody views it as a business, but you got to make money. So because of that, and because of my writing, I read all these marketing books. I mean, I did read a lot of marketing books and I did go to a lot of great masterminds. I met Kevin Rogers. I told you that at uh, Brian Kurtz's mastermind like five or six years ago. But at any rate, I say to a lot of clients, am I the only one that has read marketing books? Like most businesses just seem atrocious to me in how they deal with customers. And I, I, I have the line, if they just walked into Barnes and Noble and read the titles of the books, they'd be 40% better. You know, and the other thing that you, what the story's really about is I don't care what happens, AI, GB, blah, blah, blah. What everybody wants is to be taken seriously and to know they matter. Like I have a client who has terrible anxiety. Uh, she was really let down by a prior therapist who told her after 10 years of therapy, I just think you don't want to get better. And said, I have no more bag of tricks for you. Really wounded her. So she came to see me and now I'm, I'm, you know, fairly confident as a therapist, but it's a scary job. But I told her one of the things I do is any time of day, you can call me. If you're going to have a panic attack, call me at one in the morning. And that just calmed her down because she knew 
she had someone to call and she has called me. And I'm really proud. Like I've had in the last couple of years, I've had teenagers call me in the middle of the night. You know, can you imagine what it takes to get a teenager to call you in the middle of the night? (laughs) No. So I've, you know, they've called me when they wanted to end their life. So it's like my personal people know I, as they say in maybe the Bronx, they know I give a fuck. So because I do, uh, people, you know, they want to talk to me. And you're the same. Like, I was scared. Well, I wasn't that scared. But I I can't remember how I heard about you, but I loved your permission to kick ass. And I really loved your, you know, what I read about you. And then when I called you, I was scared because I thought, oh, my God, she worked for Jeff Walker. She must have really nice T-shirts. And isn't he known for wearing T-shirts or something? All right. So anyway, I thought your T-shirts are better than my T-shirts. And then I thought you would be aggressive. And I I I didn't think about it. It was just my fear. You're going to yeah. be condescending, aggressive, Aww. just, you know, like a type one male. You know how they can. <laughs> and what did I find? No. What you mean by permission to kick ass is largely kick your own ass and yeah. get your light out there. Yes. And meanwhile, people are seeing if if they're on the first time with you here. You're funny. You're human. (laughs) You're not a type A arrogant bitch or bastard or whatever word we would use. Right. Mm -hmm. So try not to be touch is just so beautiful. You know, and, and like I know you well enough to know it's real. Some people are real for an hour and then, you know, they don't really care. Yeah. But that's unfortunate. That will never be replaced. You know, that's why, I mean, I love doing the Zoom call now, but, you know, I love it when, I love it more if I do therapy that people are in my office and I can smell their perfume and they can smell my cologne and see my chest hair. Now you wonder, (laughs) like, why would he wear a shirt that has chest hair on it? Well, it was deliberate because when I was six years old, Timmy Goodall, who was my play partner, friend, he was like a kid my age. He made fun of my early chest hair. So I was ashamed of my chest hair. And then through the years, I realized, you know, shame is really powerful. And I have worked so hard to, like, let my light shine uh, that I've even got to where I'm with a famous type A uptight person. And I got chest hair showing. (laughs) And I bet you the world won't cave in. No. By the way, I did want to say, like, I know that the biggest thing for entrepreneurs is fear. And I wanted to mention one book that people might not have heard of. I know everybody's heard of Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art. Mm-hmm. Well, don't one. tell Stephen, but I think there's a book even better that he referred to. It's by Nick Murray, and it's called The Game of Numbers. Now, Nick Murray is probably the top financial investment coach in the world. He's an older man now. The book sells for 45 bucks. I've probably made him a yacht, like <laughs> recommending it so much. But unlike added to Stephen Pressfield, he goes into more how do you get over fear. Mm. And it's just a magnificent book. 
I'm not into the stock market. It's all about selling, cold call selling to people. And how do you do it when you're scared? Okay. Yeah. And it's just a magnificent book. Um, And the thing about fear is it's so powerful. And I think beneath it is something that's not talked about more. Now, shame is talked about a lot because of Brene Brown. But I think the deepest thing that happens to us is despair. Mm. When we just give up. Yeah. And that is the ultimate fear. And, you know, there are some things we have to give up. I got a bone disease. My career as a mixed martial artist would probably not go well at 70 years of age. Okay. But largely, I think despair is what just gets us, stops us cold. Uh, And it speaks with certainty. Uh, And I think that's, there's not a lot about despair because it won't sell books. No, I think this is a great thing. And and this seems like the perfect place to wrap up on that I think we're both talking about owning who we are, accepting our limitations, but still continuing to push, staying connected with people instead of staying in your head and finding ways to hold yourself accountable and move into action versus staying where you are and potentially falling into that despair trap. Does that sound like something? I'm on the right track there. Oh, absolutely. Do the scary things. You can do the hard things. That's what I love telling people. You can do the hard things. You can survive more than you think. You can do more than you believe yourself capable of doing. And you've got love and support even when it feels like you're totally alone. So thank you so much for being on the show. I think this was an incredible episode. It was worth the tech troubles it took to get us on this call to have this conversation. So I'm going to say thank you for showing up, Bob, and tell us a little bit more about your business. Where can we find you online? Where where can we learn more about maybe this event, maybe your practice? Tell us. Okay. So my website is called the sharpclub.com. And it's, um, I believe psychotherapy is about living a sharp life. So the sharpclub.com. The event coming up is in Rhinebeck, New York, Dutchess County, New York, two, two hours north of the city, but it's November 12th. But if you, you can call me at 845 417 5486. 845-417-5486. Let me know you want in. My email, you can see how old I am here, is <laughs> bbever1008 at aol.com. What awesome. a what an ostrich or dinosaur I am, I guess. bbever1008 at aol.com. I know that all your listeners must love you. So on behalf of you, Thank you for having me on. Yes, and my pleasure. I want them to know, you know, if I, I I went, I lived in Scotland for a year. I went to the University of Edinburgh studying philosophy. I was so lonely. Mm. You could have taken the wallpaper off my bedroom wall with loneliness dripping down it. At any rate, I have such a soft spot for hurting lonely people. Your people can call me. And just, they've got my phone number. They call and say, you know, I need Mm -hmm. help. And I'll help them. All they got to do is say code word Angie, okay? (laughs) What an incredibly generous offer. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you. Well, you're, you're delightful. 
That's all for now. If you want to keep that kick-ass energy high, please take a minute to share this episode with someone that might need a high-octane dose of you can do it. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Permission to Kick-Ass podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. I'm your host, Angie Coley, and I'm here rooting for you. Thanks for listening, and let's go kick some ass.